Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls. We are still undefeated 2-0, and Nikola Meritich is still on fire. Julius Randle is the steal of free agency. Drew Holiday is the best backcourt defender of all time, and Anthony Davis is your MVP. It's a small sample size, but so far the Pelicans look like they have a realistic shot of beating last year's mark of 48 wins, and it should only get better with a soft schedule coming up in the Clippers and the Nets. However, the most exciting part of all of this, uh, and I'm about to introduce Ali, is that there's still so many ways that this unit can improve. Uh, today, we're going to be previewing the home matchup on Tuesday with the Clips. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. With Clips Nation's managing editor, Robert Flom. But first, let's welcome our own managing editor-in-chief at TheBirdRice.com, the man who broke the 3,000-follower threshold, <laughs> Mr. Ali Cosell. What's going on, dude? <laughs> What's up, Preston? I just got to say, it was fun as hell finally being back inside the Smoothie King Center for a regular season game. Because uh, after what we saw in preseason, and I know that they destroyed the Rockets, but you still kind of had those doubts, and especially thinking back to last year, you know, the start of the season, just like any other season, really, in New Orleans, they always get off to those mediocre starts, man, and usually struggle often against those weaker teams, but they did anything but. They, they asserted themselves enough to where they had a 20-point win. Yeah, it was really impressive. Uh, I remember uh, at some point in the second quarter, the scoring is so high. At the second quarter, it's 56 to 56. It's tied up at that point. I think we mm -hmm. ended up somewhere around 72 to 63 at the halftime threshold. But, Ali, the one thing we were concerned about after the overwhelming win on ESPN on Wednesday night against the Houston Rockets was another letdown. Obviously, the Pelicans lost to the Kings twice last year. They lost to the Knicks. I want to say they lost to the Hawks. I think they beat the Magic by one. I'm struggling to remember all the teams they struggled with. But it was all these, you know, uh, below 500 units who finished below 30 wins. But they handled business, just like you said, 56 to 56 was the tightest it got in the third quarter. Uh, they just raced past them 38 to 18, I think was the final stanza. It was a 20 point lead at that point. And my wife and I were like, hey, you want to watch a movie? And we did. And in the fourth quarter, I don't think Anthony Davis ever reemerged. How how impressive do you think it is at this point that the Pelicans have proven that they can, number one, take care of the bigger dogs in the Western Conference, number two, still play uh, up to the level of competition that they're facing in the Sacramento Kings. You nailed it, man. That's exactly right. It is impressive. They can go in down the Houston and destroy them without the game ever really being truly competitive and then kind of get off to a lazy start against the Kings. You know, they were losing Preston in the fast break points department um, and the points in the paint. Everything was in favor of the Kings. And despite that, the Pelicans kind of had a decent sized lead throughout that first quarter, even though, like you said, in the second quarter, they tied it up. But then after a half or after a timeout, I think it was around the four minute mark, they just put their foots down on these guys' throats. And of course, the lasting image for everybody is Drew Holiday pounding the hell out of poor little Buddy Heald trying to bring the ball up the court. I mean, we were laughing about, they're not laughing, I should say, commenting on how Ian Clark was struggling with his backup point guard duties. Wow, Drew Holiday just all of a sudden decided to flip that switch and show how you really do it. And poor Buddy, you know, obviously it led to a turnover. And the crowd loved it. We all loved it. And it seemed to spur the Pelicans onto that, you know, easy double-digit, you know, 20-point win. So, yeah, Preston, the fact that they can seemingly turn it on a dime uh, is, is maybe concerning. But for me, it's impressive that they 
have that many more gears, it seems like. And so they can play not their best ball. You know, how many free throws did they miss? It was a ton, right? It was at least 10. And whatever other miscues they had, which obviously were they were given a lot of easy points to those Kings uh, young guys. But again, none of it really mattered, right? Because they never really truly threatened. You never felt like the Pelicans were in danger of losing that game, like they ever lost momentum. So it was impressive, yes. Yeah, they missed 12 free throws against the Kings. They missed five for, I think, somewhere around 73% against the Rockets. Uh, I want to talk about the main six rotational figures for the Pelicans right now. Obviously, we have a bit of concerns with the extended depth. But right now, just Julius Randle, each one more, Alfred Payton, Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, Nikola Meritich. Meritich, obviously, is the the leading shot getter at this point. I think somewhere around 21 and, and 20 shots per game in his two matchups. But the other guys are really evenly placed, Ali. Uh, somewhere between 7 and 15 shots for each of them in each matchup. They're each getting them up. They're shooting very efficiently. The first two games, I think the Pelicans were 58% against the Kings. They were somewhere right around 52% from the field against the Rockets. These guys are a cohesive group with two major additions in Julius Randle and Alfred Payton, and we're obviously going to touch on those guys a bit later. How impressive is it to you that these six guys have fit together so seamlessly? Yeah, it looks like that they've assembled a core that isn't a me, that don't have a me-first attitude among them. And you've got to kind of think, Nikola Meritich, you can almost lump him into that same group with Peyton and um, Randall and being kind of a young guy or a new guy to the team still because he's only had about, you know, before the season started, roughly around, what was it, 30-some-odd games with the team. And usually I've been told that you need at least a full season for some chemistry and continuity to develop amongst your core guys. So, really, I mean, that's that's th- that's half of the key guys you just mentioned, half of the six. So, the fact that they've been doing it well, they know – how to look for the guy that's hot. And I think that's what I found out most um, telling about how this team is already kind of on that same page. They knew Nico was hot, right? So they consistently started looking for him, especially in the second half. As for last year, honestly, Preston, they wouldn't do that often. You know, you kind of had Boogie doing his thing. You kind of had Drew maybe trying to dribble around and either get off his shot or they, they tried too hard to look for 80. You know, it was just a little bit more disjointed, especially at this time of the year last year. So. The fact that they're already, like like I said, sailing so smoothly, uh, don't seem to have any hiccups. All of a sudden, hey, let's mention this, the turnovers have vanished. You know, after having about 12, I think, in Houston, again, they only had about 13 or 14, if I remember right, against the Kings. So that was a huge bugaboo in preseason. Like I said, it's like a flip of a switch with this team, man. Nobody saw this coming, but it is most impressive. And so you want to say that you want to hope it continues, but you got to feel good that it will because it is such a positive trend. And when you look at all these players individually, you know what they're capable of. And if they're playing as a team, I mean, honestly, you've got to think this is one of the best teams in the NBA right now. And I don't feel bad saying it, you know? There's no bias there. What do you think? Yeah, the most impressive statistic uh, right now is the turnovers to assist ratio at this point in time. And you mentioned 13 uh, turnovers against the Rockets. Against the Kings, it was a bit higher at 16, but you can't even qualify that because a lot of that came in the fourth quarter when the big six was mostly off the court during that time period. So not only have they been scoring very efficiently, getting into the paint seemingly at will, getting whatever shot they want, they've also been efficient from the three-point position, and they haven't been giving the ball away. Uh, They really have been playing their best basketball to start the season after following what was a disastrous 0-5 start in the preseason. They put it all together very quickly. And our our biggest concern has to be at this point, Ali, if Anthony Davis can't stay on the court for longer than 27 minutes and get more than 12 shots, how is he ever going to win MVP? <laughs> well, you know what? He had eight assists and six, six assists, and he's a defensive monster still. So you know what? He is filling it up everywhere else. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt. But I know what your point is. And what I love, actually, did you catch that quote by Jim Eichenhofer after the game where he was Anthony Davis was being interviewed on 99.5 FM here in New Orleans? Did you see no, that? It had to nope. do basically with how Anthony Davis admitted that, yes, I am trying to make my teammates better this year, but when I have to score, right. I will. So there you go. He had 12 shots, but you know what? The Pelicans scored 149 points. I don't think they needed his offense. Yeah, definitely not. And I think the most important Paul, of important part of all of this is not only Nikola Meritich, but also his three-point shooting. What it does is just space the floor, create all that available space in the paint for these guys to roam and attack. Guys like Etwan Moore and his runners, guys like Alfred Payton, who's been kissing it off the glass a fair bit. Uh, Drew Holiday, likewise, has been getting those backdoor cuts underneath the basket where he's been fed by guys like Payton, like Moore, like Davis. So all of this 
comes together so seamlessly in many ways due to the shooting of Nikola Mirotic. He was five of nine against the Kings. Other than him, no one shot more than three three-pointers outside of Darius Miller. I, I'm talking about the major six, uh, Julius Randle, Etuan Moore, Peyton, all those guys. Most of those guys only took one three-point throw, uh, three point shot. Other than Mirotic, how important is not only his three-point shooting, but that he's efficient in doing it in terms of their scoring and what they're able to do on the court, Ollie? Well, let's forget what it means to the team. I mean, the fact that you can uh, prove Paul Pierce wrong, I think that's the best thing ever. <laughs> no, honestly, of course it means a lot, Preston. But here's the other thing. They, they've, they've, like I said, they've gone to him when they know he's been hot. So, yes, let's, let, let's ride this guy while he's hot. But here's the most interesting. Etuan Moore's only made one three so far in two games. But has anybody talked about that? Nope. I know yeah. Darius Miller has kind of looked bad. But as you just mentioned, he kind of got in the groove yesterday, made three of seven. But again, we haven't had to rely on anybody. You're not pointing out the guys that are having those subpar games. I mean, Drew, for all his wonders that he does on the court, and, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away, but he's only averaging 12 and a half points so far through two games. So for all those people who are talking about they're playing over their heads and especially pointing at Nico, I mean, then let's talk about the underperformances offensively by Drew or by each one. Two guys that you know are going to play in the high 30s when necessary, and we've seen what they can do in the past. So... Like I said, Preston, the most impressive thing about this six is that, you know, maybe outside of Elford Payton, and you can probably talk a little bit more about him, but he's not a guy you're going to rely on or you want to for him to get 20 points a game. But those other five, absolutely, they can do it. And I think it's a great thing that they maybe even alternate throughout the year. You know, I've, I've heard that the Golden State Warriors, what they've done over the last few years is they kind of just pick a guy either in the, in the pregame or they just know who's kind of running hot for the week. And they just keep going to that guy. As for the other two, you know, whether it's Durant, Thompson, Curry, Draymond, whoever else, it's kind of just taking the back seat. And I don't want to say resting, but they're not exerting that 110% effort. I think that would be great if the Pelicans could fall into some kind of routine like that, uh, where you're just kind of taking turns alternatively. As for other guys can conserve a little bit. Um, again, that's how great teams get through a season. That's how you kind of avoid some injuries. And that's how you dominate, you know. And so far, like I said, they've checked all the boxes, man. Definitely kept everyone involved. Etuan Moore had 21 points. Alfred Payton's been pretty steady around that triple-double tens mark. Uh, Julius Randle obviously has been getting all of his touches. He's been running in transition. He's been distributing, as has Anthony Davis. His shots have been down in the first two games. The first game, I think he had somewhere around 20, but last night, I think he had 12. Uh, Drew Holiday's been expending most of his energy defensively. He only had 15 points against the Kings, and I think only 10 against the Rockets. So it's like you said, Things have been starting and going with Nikola Meritich right now, and I think that's perfect for the Pelicans and who they want to be. Uh, something that we should mention, if we haven't already, 76 points in the paint in both games, on both nights. And when you're getting shots like yes, that... Yes, that's exactly where I, where I wanted to go next. So I want you to answer this, Preston. You were just talking, we were talking about the three-point shooting and everything, but how important is it, especially for a team that hasn't been so far making their free throws consistently, how great is it that they can get this many points in the paint and you know the opposition knows it's coming, right? So how great is it? And do you think, Preston, that the other teams are going to start figuring out, is there a plan to stop our big three? Yeah, that's the most interesting part of it. We were concerned that it was going to get a bit clogged, that we weren't going to have enough spacing, that we weren't going to have enough shooting if we had Solomon Hill and Alfred Payton on the court at the same point in time, if we had Julius Randle paired with them as well. But instead, they've been running these lineups with Nikola Meritich and Julius Randle that have been working perfectly from the start they've still managed to space the floor they've still managed to create all these backdoor cuts and actions to where guys have been hit in the zone right when they need to be and they've gotten right to the cup Alfred Payton in many ways has been doing the Rajon Rondo thing where he kind of feels out the offense and then once every five minutes or so he just takes a guy off the dribble and gets to the glass and that's how they're going to keep the defenses honest that's how they're going to keep that space and that's how they're going to continue getting buckets in the most efficient part of the court other than the corner three position obviously but what's What's the most exciting part of all of this is we expected Anthony Davis to have to work in the post to continue developing those moves to kind of shift towards the latter part of his career where these guys develop this uh, fadeaway falling jumper that LeBron James employed so effortlessly last year. But at this point, they haven't even had to. It's been one-on-one -on -one defense. The double teams, when they come over, these guys are great and willing passers. They've been fi finding the cutting man. They've been finding the guy in the corner who either takes the guy off the dribble or continues moving the ball. The offense is just clicking at an alarming level right now 
everybody seems to know their role. Everybody seems to be moving away from the ball. That's what concerned us last year was the ball watching, the, the ISO play, the guys trying to go off the dribble with their back to the basket. We haven't been seeing very much of that this year. Instead, everything anyway, it's two games. We need to pump the brakes for a second. Um, obviously, we're going to get to the bench. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk more in depth about Alfred Payton. Let's go ahead and just start with our questions, Ali. Positively, Pelicans, are we going 98-0? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, I understand what the person's getting at because they're not being realistic. But basically, they want to know, is this hype real? And I lean towards more yes than I do no. Because let's face it, coming into the season, what would you say, Preston? Half of the national media, maybe half of those voices out there didn't even have the Pelicans making the playoffs. Um, I didn't do a study on it, but it didn't seem like it was, you know, the vast majority by far. So I think you can legitimately say that, that it's justifiable to be hyped about this team because, you know, I know it's two games, but when you see so many things working, when you understand the firepower they possess, when you understand their abilities are actually far greater than what the opponents can do. And what I mean by that is you've got three big guys, like I was saying, over six foot nine, six foot ten, weighing 250 pounds or more, and they can move the way they do. They can guard any other opponent, basically almost any other position, at least for a possession or two, and then offensively just bully you to death, shoot the three-pointer, uh, kill, kill you on the glass. That's another thing we didn't even mention, Preston. You talked about the points in the paint, but you know what I find startling? We've always wanted this Pelicans team to crash the offensive glass hard, especially last year. Well, right now, they're in the top 10 where they're averaging 13 offensive rebounds a game. So they're basically doing everything. They're utilizing all their strengths. So, again, when you look around the league and you don't see it anywhere else, that, like I said, the hype is justifiable. When you do that process of elimination, when you look at it kind of, you know, mathematically, scientifically, whatever you want to say, logically, that they're, it's justifiable, man. I really believe and truly think that this team – you know, knock on wood is a playoff lock, and really, they've got a good chance as any to win that home court advantage in the first round. Yeah, definitely. My only two concerns at this point uh, are the bench, the depth, and Ollie's going to get into that. He thinks we're going to be okay. Uh, the second part of that is the Pelicans are still defensively making it a bit easy on their opponents in terms of letting them into the paint. The Sacramento Kings had 70 points in the paint. They shot over 50%, over 40% from three-point range. And you can just see like the lapses from time to time when you're running at that frenetic of a pace. You can just see guys from the other team like the Pelicans just getting to the glass a bit too easily. The help defender being a bit slow and coming over, uh, that sort of thing. But obviously that's we we should be so impressed with what they're doing offensively two games into the season it's hard to be this hard on them defensively especially when we saw the assertive performance they had against uh james harden and chris paul and clint capella and the rockets just dominating those guys with a steel curtain like approach uh double teaming them and just forcing pj tucker to beat them and of course uh, at this stage of his career there's only so much pj tucker can do a la al farouk amino with the portland trailblazers even when they put up 30 points it's just simply enough when you take away harden and Chris Paul, and you simultaneously shut down Clint Capella. He's somebody who's hurt us in the past. So it's difficult to be tough on them, but it is just a small sample size at this point. Let's move back. This is something I wanted to talk to you about. Obviously, we're, we're so early in the season, but Dell Demps took a calculated risk when he basically went young with Rajon Rondo, who I think is somewhere around 32 years of age, DeMarcus Cousins, who's probably approaching somewhere around 28. And he went with 22 or 24 year old, I should say, Alfred Payton and 23 year old Julius Randle. And at this point, if the Pelicans can top their mark of 48 wins from last year, that's probably all you need for a top four seed. And then he has to be in the conversation for general manager of the year. And I think he's guaranteed a top three finish. This question is from Dell Demps, who's my co-pilot. He said, how should we celebrate when Dell Demps makes his move for a real wing? How does Preston feel about Peyton so far? Okay, that one's for me. Obviously, it's a small sample size on Alfred Payton. His numbers have been a bit inflated just because of the pace, but I think he's been solid defensively. I really like the way he executed the game plan against James Harden and Chris Paul. Uh, you could see the game plan for the Rockets was to generate switches and take big men off the dribble. It's something Chris Paul has always been one of the best in the game at, and it was really fun to see him go head-to-head -head with Anthony Davis on one possession, but usually he was targeting Julius Randle and Nikola Meritich, but they did something really interesting 
and that the big man stayed with Harden and Chris Paul. And then Alfred Payton and Drew Holiday came over to help defend and force the ball away from him. And in that regard, they kept those guys from driving, from getting to the from getting to the paint, from getting those easy shots and from doing that thing they do. I don't know how you would classify this, but where you take the first guy off the dribble and then all of a sudden it's a two on one situation with Anthony Davis or Nikola Meritich where you have to hedge. You either attack the guy with the ball or you jump up and you avoid the alley-oop. And that's such a tricky thing and they are the best at it. But the Pelicans avoided that situation and in many parts due to Alfred Payton and Drew Holiday. So you can't say that you're not impressed. My All I want to see is him do this um, for, for a given point of time. It's, it's something that David Grubb and I have talked about. It's it's not his abilities. It's the lapses in, in mental uh, focus. You just want to see it over an elongated part of time. What's going to happen when things aren't so easy? What's going to happen when the Pelicans aren't up by 20, aren't dominating? Uh, so, and at this point, it's a contract season. He knows what he's playing for. You can see with the haircut that he is fully invested in making this work. And this is the best possible situation for him. So I'm definitely rooting for him to do well. And uh, if that does happen, then all my Orlando Magic fans will be uh, pretty up in arms with him. But let's let's go back to the first part of the question, Ali. Sorry, I've been talking for a really long time. Del Demps, talk about the risk that he made, how it's paying off thus far, and what kind of realistic move do you think he has up in his sleeve uh, over the course of the next remaining months? You have got to give Del Demps all the credit in the world for going after Alfred Payton. The Pelicans targeted him first in free agency. They were there calling him or at his door, I can't remember which, at 12.01 once it was legal. So that was the stroke of genius because, let's face it, I know that I think the expectations were, and I don't know how high, but they were really high that Rondo was going to come back. But yet they went after Alfred Payton first, which was a great move in hindsight because otherwise the Pelicans would have been without a, a you know starting point guard. Everybody can say that Drew Holiday could have handled it, but again, after what we've seen, after what we've seen over the course of his career, uh, you just want to keep this guy in, in what – role he was most successful at and that of course was the two guard the shooting guard keep him away from the full-time ball handling duties so not to stray too far off topic but yeah signing Alfred Payton really I think like set everything in motion and like I said chasing him prioritizing him knowing that Rondo is not a um, long-term piece because of his age because maybe they had an inkling that his demands would be higher Maybe that they know he's going to break down because, let's face it, he has missed some games. Or maybe he just tires of a situation, and that's when dysfunction comes around. But either way, they were smart to back then have wanted to go ahead and find, you know, that next guy that could have, you know, learned under him, been under his wing, but a guy that could basically run the offense in the same manner. And so, like I said, that set everything else in motion. By having him, they didn't have to suddenly prioritize, oh, God, we got to go find some point guard and maybe overpay on somebody or – Bring in two point guards because you got to try them out in preseason. You don't know who's going to be better. Um, whatever you have. But then, of course, Rondo signs elsewhere. And suddenly, hey, well, we've got all this money sitting there. And, hey, suddenly Randall's out of job. And, like I say, it was a perfect scenario as to where the dominoes fell. All because the Pelicans and the front office chased Alfred Payton first. Um, of course, everybody's going to say it's luck. And, of course, everything in the NBA when it comes to personnel decisions – uh, draft choices, there's a lot of luck involved, but you've got to give credit to for when the decisions turn out to be the right ones. And the Pelicans had a lot of holes. Del Dams for the longest time has heard what criticism? Please give a, a legitimate small forward. But no, they prioritize a backup point guard. And wow, does it, you know, I think it's it's one of the most genius moves that we saw in free agency because look where the Pelicans are now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, luck does play a great role in all of this. Anthony Davis has turned into a transcendent player. Drew Holiday has been wonderful. Uh, but he's had his share of bad luck, too, in you know signing these contracts to guys who didn't work out, the injuries, all manner of sorts of things. So obviously, luck does play an important factor in all of this. And I think he's had his share of both. So at this point in time, with Julius Randle, with Alfred Payton, with Nikola Meritich, uh, if if they continue playing this way, I, I don't think there's there's any way he's not probably the the focal point of the award right now would probably have to be him. Here's here's a good question that I want to pose to you. I'm going to start it off. It's from Tejeda, uh, basically saying, no, I'll just read it verbatim. How do you think this team will respond, adjust when other teams figure out how to slow us down? So basically, my question to you, Ali, is somebody's going to figure out a formula. The Kings didn't do it. The Rockets didn't do it. It's early in the season. Everybody's not clicking on all cylinders. Over a couple of weeks, once teams get the game film and once they come at the Pelicans with a better plan, what type of team is the best suited team to slow them down? I think it's somebody who 
who still has the size to pack the paint, but also the athleticism to chase out Anthony Davis onto the perimeter. And the two that I that come to mind in this type of situation, Jermichael Green is somebody who's always been tough on Anthony Davis, somebody he's always struggled a bit with. Uh, we saw that. Uh, against the opener last year against the Grizzlies, Jermichael Green left very early in the first quarter. Anthony Davis was struggling against him at that point. But as soon as he left the floor, AD exploded. I, I think he was like 33 and 18 on the night or something like that. Marcus All, obviously somebody who's going to give trouble to somebody like Nikola Meritich and Julius Randle, those guys who've been getting into the paint at, at will. What kind of team do you think is going to present the biggest challenge for the Pelicans offensively? Holly? Incredibly well, indeed. So, granted, there you go. There's a Golden State Warriors right there. Because a, a three ball is going to nullify how many um, twos you get, you know. So, you're going to have to get almost uh, two for one type of deal going where for every three they make, you, you almost have to score twice down low or around the rim, you know, to get those two easy points. So, the, the deep shooting, the good shooting, deep shooting three-point teams, they're going to give the Pelicans trouble. Uh, especially when they're on, because that means then suddenly you're going to have to have one of Randall, Miritich, AD, running around desperately on the perimeter. And that's where, you know, you can kind of start having those defensive issues where you can't suddenly have AD sitting around the rim and hawking everything that comes down inside of there. Uh, the other style of team person is, is going to be kind of like the Boston Celtics. Again, I know I'm picking the most obvious answers, but you got to legitimately look at their rosters. And Boston has great athleticism. Uh, and that's what it's going to take to kind of – you've got to have a team that can defensively stay with the Pelicans and has to have versatility because, like we've seen, the Pelicans, every single guy in the lineup seemingly can bring up the ball um, and get the, the offense into their sets or run a fast break, find the open guy, crash the offensive glass. These guys are so good doing at everything. You kind of need an everything-doing um, opponent to be able to really kind of solve that to give problems to the Pelicans. And maybe frustrate them, you know, uh, maybe expose a weakness. Maybe that, that with, with that type of athleticism, you can focus in on a guy like St. Etuan Moore, who's not the best passer. Uh, maybe look to trap him or put a big, taller wingspan guy on him. Maybe seek to get a couple turnovers that way or, you know, frustrate Drew Holiday somehow. I mean, there's going to be – we're going to see it, Preston. I know it's been two games. Everybody can't foresee it. But our guys are going to get frustrated. There's going to be things that there's going to be thrown at them. And like I said, we haven't played what I think are going to be the biggest nemesis. And it's going to be the hot shooting, great shooting three ball teams and the more athletic teams that can match up pretty well at almost every position with the Pels. Yeah, two teams that are off to a good start defensively. Uh, Denver Nuggets have been playing really well. Obviously, uh, Anthony Davis will play pretty well against Nikola Jokic. But uh, across the other four positions, the Nuggets have been quite good. And the Los Angeles Clippers, who we're going to see on Tuesday, you're going to listen to the second half of this podcast, how good they've been defensively with Marcin Gortat in the paint. But then you've got Avery Bradley and Patrick Beverly uh, on the wings alongside Gallinari and Tobias Harris. And their bench is pretty good, too. Um I'm going to go ahead and come back to that one. All right, B. Henry, Ali, let's talk about our flaws after two games. I think we've done that in in pretty good fashion. Let's expand on that a little bit. Obviously, um, allowing teams uh, easy access into the paint right now. Uh, the bench positions, uh, probably 7 through 10 right now, aren't where we want them to be. Why don't we go ahead and start with the bench right now, Ollie? Outside yeah. of Julius Randle, uh, Ian Clark, a couple of turnovers, still not shooting well. Uh, Darius Miller still a bit gun shy, although he put in some points last night. Solomon Hill has not been effective, still trying to get his legs underneath him, although he did have a nice three-point shot. After he missed the first one, uh, took a shot on the ensuing position, and that had to feel good. Uh, we haven't seen much of Okafor. Um, everybody knows our thoughts on Diallo. we got to get some Frank Jackson in there. Uh, what do you need to see from the bench in terms of improvement, Ali? Okay, first I want to ask you, did you say Ian Clark's not off to a good shooting start? Yeah, from what I what I saw. Okay, well, he, he hasn't missed a shot yet. <laughs> what are you talking about? He was he didn't play in Houston, then he played last night. And he went four for four, dude. Oh, okay. I thought he in had a couple of turnovers. No, he, couldn't, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. I, I'm pretty sure that's what you're thinking of. But in yesterday's game, and again, a lot of it came in the fourth quarter where you didn't see it. Uh, he made three or three from deep and overall four or four. So, yeah, he hasn't missed a shot yet. I must have been thinking of preseason. I didn't watch the fourth quarter, but uh, two turnovers. But you're absolutely right. 13 points, four or four shooting, three of three from three-point range, two of two from three throws. So what do I know? 
There you go. We just gave Ian Clark or Ian Clark a good shout out for the great play that he showed yesterday. <laughs> um, you know, you've got to think that Preston. I feel pretty comfortable, honestly, even though what we've seen preseason, maybe these two games. I feel comfortable in the Pelicans' top eight. Um, outside the top six, I think honestly, Ian Clark and Darius Miller are still going to be contributors long term for this team. That Gentry will be able to rely on. You know, he was able to rely on them last season through decent portions. Uh, what would you say, maybe for half to two-thirds of the season? Uh, maybe that's pushing a little bit. But, again, I think you can expect at least that this season and hopefully more. You know, I've heard good things about what Darius Miller did in his offseason. I've heard there's people within the Pelicans are high on him. They, they think that he is going to improve and take that next step. And we were seeing it in training camp and preseason. He just hasn't shown it really yet uh, at, in this regular season. Ian Clark, like I said, he struggled in preseason, but yesterday's game, that's going to do a lot of world of confidence for him. Um, just the biggest thing for me with the bench, obviously, is they keep forcing minutes on solo. And even Alvin Gentry said yesterday that he was re- really liked his game and what he did. But, you know, I have to disagree. I haven't seen him be – obviously, he's not living up to the contract, but he hasn't even been, I think, a net positive on the court over two games. Um, I'm not looking at plus or minus. It's just what my eyes are telling me. This guy airballed his first three-point shot yesterday, and granted, he made one seconds later, but in between those two shots, he gave up an easy drive. Somebody, I don't know who it was on the Kings, but burned him off the perimeter for an easy lane at the rim, and and I remember there was at least one other time where he got burned rather easily for a couple easy points, too. So defensively, Solo Hill's got to provide. He's got to be a constant there, and if he's not, he's definite liability, and, and I feel like that's what he's been so far. So seeing solo get minutes that concerns me it's like i don't know whether they're forcing it on him hoping that a switch turns on i mean that's what you have to think they're just waiting for this guy to click because with role players that's what you do Preston. you got to give them their time find their footing and get in some kind of group because they these guys are not going to consistently um, provide for you but they will in spurts and so they're waiting for that spurt but other than that what i'm worried about is the ball handling you know ian clark yesterday got hounded by the kings a little bit and uh he was forcing a couple turnovers uh, so will we see some more Tim Frazier going forward? I mean, he, he just got some garbage time minutes, which you can't tell by anything by that. But I would love to see somebody be able to take away some ball handling away from both Drew and Elford. Um, and obviously, of course, we need to have a fourth big kind of emerge. Uh, because let's face it, an injury or at least some rest you know, is going to be needed for one of these guys. So you want to see Okafor kind of get more minutes and kind of get his footing. Because like I said, season's a grind 82 games we all know this let's start seeing some of these guys get just a few more minutes but also start doing some positive things uh because alvin gentry has to obviously play them but again they also have to in turn kind of give him uh show him enough to where he can trust them so you're right the bench bench that's probably one of the biggest flaws so far it's one one of the biggest concerns moving forward because we just haven't seen simply enough highlights enough to where Gentry can rely on them. And I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. You, we, we've pretty much beaten this, this horse to death. Um, so I guess we can move on. Yeah, we've got other questions uh, regarding the same topic from Finn. He says, is this the best bench we've had ever? He said, who would you like to see more minutes, uh, get more minutes? I think we've answered the second part of that. Uh, the first one, I think this definitely definitively probably is in the Dell Demps era. What would you say about that, Ollie? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. we've seen since 2014-15, there's been no bench, you know. And before that, you know, it was just kind of a bad team, you know, with the Ryan Anderson, Tyreek Evans, Drew Hawley. They always went through too many lulls. We had, you know, the Monty Williams era where, God, there's just so many, uh, you know, liabilities out there. Remember the Unholy Trinity with Amino, Tyreek Evans, and Greg Stiesma? Uh, You know, so, yeah, there was so many holes. So, despite all, everything we've said, this is probably the best – bench Del Demps has ever assembled during his tenure yeah impressive uh Paul Schrader asked Pelicans Bucks finals who says no I'm gonna say the NBA because I now have on good authority <laughs> that the uh on good authority that the the NBA does not get the kind of numbers that they need from New Orleans Pelicans fans and Milwaukee Bucks fans although Giannis and Anthony Davis popularity is growing uh, they'd probably want a couple of uh, bigger cities involved in that matchup. But with that being said, uh, who wouldn't enjoy watching Giannis and Tedekopo and Anthony Davis go head-to-head uh, over a seven-game series, as well as Chris Middleton um, against Drew Holiday would be an impressive bout for sure. Uh, let's go ahead over to Solomon. This one for you, Ali. Is the front office aware of how empty the Smoothie King Center looked on TV last night? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I purposely sent out a tweet in the middle of the game when the uh, announcement was made. The, uh, the It was a sellout, 18,000. But at the start of the game, you know, the seats were empty. And that's how it always is. I'm surprised that people that are regular follow, followers of the team haven't picked up on this. I swear, we've got a late-arriving crowd here in New Orleans. And I want to say roughly by the time the first quarter ended, it had filled up really well. There was those pockets, though, you know, in the lower bowl that kind of – and, of course, that's what people see back home on TV. So you're going to see this emptiness, and you're going to think, well, God, how's the rest of the arena look? You're just automatically going to think it's kind of sparse. When they – honestly, I thought it looked really good around the – especially up in the upper bowl, in the middle. It was pretty full. And, you know, you hardly ever even see a couple souls in the upper corners, but yet there was more people than that, way more people than that. So I thought the attendance was really good. And, of course, the vibe, the electricity was outstanding. Um, like I said, when you can get a whole crowd press, and I mean, I'm telling you, I get goosebumps thinking about when you get the whole crowd excited about Drew Holiday playing defense. You know, they were in oohing and on, and, and when it resulted in a turnover, the cheers and the roars. And then, of course, with Nico, after every three, once everybody, hey, this guy's hot, and suddenly, hey, Look at him do this fancy dribble on Bagley, who's a more athletic guy. And he fakes him out uh, with a dribble and then shoots a fadeaway, cans it. I mean, the crowd was exploding nonstop. And, of course, you had that eight Anthony Davis dunk kind of to get all the festivities going where he kind of threw it down like a Blake Griffin, uh, Dwight Howard thing. So the, the, the crowd was there. You could hear it. You could see it. I guess maybe just you couldn't see all the right angles from the TV. And like I said, for for being a second game, and I've been coming to these games now for uh, four years in a row, and and I've been a follower team ever since they moved down here. I thought the attendance was good. All right. Uh, This one's also from Tejeda. I'll start off. You finish it. What are two things that you're surprised about in a positive way and negative way after these couple of games? Uh, For the two things, I'm going to say the offensive efficiency, the way they've been managing their turnovers and the way they've been sharing the ball. I think those two things have resulted in this influx of point and the efficiency of which they've been shooting. What are two negative things, Ali? I don't get to have fun with the positives. You Uh, can take whatever you want. (laughs) All right. Negatives. And, and you, of course, you're going to make me be the Debbie Downer. I want you to be the bad guy. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, the negatives for me right up front, you've got to make free throws. We're going to be in a lot of close games. And that was one thing that the Pelicans were really good at last year was capitalizing um, in crunch time and winning the close games. That's where I feel like that's the only reason the Pelicans made the playoffs. Uh, I want to say the Pelicans had the best record in crunch time. So that means in the last five minutes of a game, when the score is five points or less, um, it counts all those minutes. And the Pelicans, I think, emerged with 30 wins out of a possible like 50-51 tries. And again, like I said, that was by far the most – or that was the most wins that any other team had in crunch time. So you kind of want them to duplicate that, or you feel like you have to in the West. You know, every game matters, right? So when they're out there missing a bunch of free throws, and like I said, it's, it's disturbing. You know, Julius Randle hasn't been a great uh, free throw shooter of his career. Same thing with Alfred Payton. But then when you start seeing Nikola Miritich, you know, what did he go for? Like one for four, maybe? I can't remember how many he made and missed yesterday. But, again, and then, of course, Anthony Davis, man. He, he had the bugaboo. I think he went 8 to 12 in the first half. So that's a problem, Preston, because those points are going to matter like they have mattered in other years. Um, so that would be number one concern. And number two, and I don't want to give you a cheesy answer about somebody on the bench. Um, uh, I mean, and we've talked about the defense. And I mean, I will say, I think, I think you're right. I think it's the points in the paint. You can be a little lax defensively. You don't have to play your man up front, but when, when you're given a team and this is any team, when you're giving them repetitive, like easy, good looks at the rim and the Falcons did that twice yesterday, both in that first quarter and then towards uh, like the, the first part of, in the, to the middle part of that second quarter, the Kings made a run. You could see their confidence grow. You kind of kind of felt, even though I said the momentum never shifted where you felt uncomfortable, but you could just see that growth. And if you start giving other teams, good teams, these opportunities, it's going to bite you in the ass. So I'm not asking for the team to play, obviously, at 100% effort defensively, but you've just got to be able to shut down the middle. You've got to be able to take away the easiest of scores uh, from your opponents. All right, great stuff. This is from Solomon once again. He said, other than trading Solomon Hill, what else does Dell Demps have to do to get your GM of the year vote? And I think we've covered this uh, pretty well. I think the Pelicans just have to win at this point. I think if the Pelicans win, I, I, I'm going to say 54 games, but if they win at least 50 games, that might be enough to do it. I think if they win 54, I think it's a slam dunk. What about you, Ali? I did too. I want to see them hit 50, 50 wins or more. 
And I think just getting home court advantage in a first round, that's a huge win. Because suddenly, not only is a team doing well, all of a sudden you've got expectations. But suddenly Anthony Davis has legitimate, um, realistic hopes of winning some of these awards that he's deserving of. Without a doubt, he was my defensive player of the year last year. Uh, it could be Drew Hawley this year. And, of course, Anthony Davis is gunning for the MVP. And a team has got to finish in the top four for a guy to realistically have a chance to win that award. Yeah, it's getting to a dangerous point right now. The The story can can flip on a dime about what's making a team successful. And in terms of MVP uh, uh, credentials, if Nikola Meritich continues to excel, Julius Randle, Drew Holiday, well, then the conversation turns to, well, he's got a lot of help. So you also have to find the – I feel like these awards are becoming more and more political by the year. But I guess that's always going to be the nature of things when you have three people who are all equally qualified or close to equally qualified for it at any given point in time. But as, as that story continues yeah, to Christian, let me just ask you this. So I'm going to read you this line and you tell me whether it's MVP worthy or not. And that's despite what you just said, Nicole is going off. Everybody else is playing well. Anthony Davis's current line through two games, 28.5 points a game. He's averaging 10 or excuse me, 13 rebounds a game seven assists a game, 2.5 steals, 2.5 blocks, and all these assists, they've only come against 2.5 turnovers. I mean, that sounds like an MVP, right? That reads like an MVP line, right? Yeah, definitely. And the the problem with this is uh, just like his usage, uh, how often he has the ball in his hands, because we've, we've seen that James Harden is going to just have more opportunities. Last year, I think he was somewhere around like 31 points, nine assists, and somewhere around five or six rebounds. I can't remember it offhand. So we know that somebody's going to have those offensive numbers. It's just do the do the voters also take into account uh, defense in that regard if you've got somebody like Russell Westbrook and James Harden there at the end? Obviously, we don't know how long uh, Russell Westbrook's going to be out. He's still not in uh, mm-hmm. full five-on-five drills, so he might be out for another couple of weeks, and that could really hamper uh, Oklahoma City's playoff hopes. I think they're 0-2 right now. And Paul George has been playing well, but it just hasn't been enough. But at any rate, yeah, he's going to be up there. He's going to be in the final five. And then the the story just becomes whoever they want to vote for. Do, do you have to have the best numbers across the line? Uh, obviously, he's going to have a double-double. But does he need to have, you know, five or six assists per game coupled with two and a half blocks, coupled with one and a half to two steals? Like, at, at some point, it's just got to be a clever story, I feel like, in many regards. Like, James Harden was passed over for years on end, or uh, Steph Curry had that brilliant year where I think he shot, like, 52 and 42 over mm-hmm. the course of the season, in addition to scoring, like, 30 points a game. Or um, Kawhi Leonard would also be a candidate this year just from all that he's been through being traded from a team to team. Anyway, uh, we're getting here's one, way here's too one, far. I, yeah, I just want to say, here's one reason to be hopeful, though. Usually past, and you just nailed it, past MVPs, usually don't win in their first season. You don't explode on the scene and suddenly win the MVP that year. You win in six, in later years. And you know what? AD was top three last year. So I think he's got that going for him. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, the only one that comes to mind is Derrick Rose that I can think of offhand. But other than that, uh, you're absolutely right. Let's get to our last question, and then I have to cover the Magic game. Yay! Uh, Clint, huh? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. I I don't go anymore uh, to games that are in Philadelphia. I'm just kidding. I didn't Uh, know what it was. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, uh, honestly, we have a couple of guys who get credentials to the game, Zach Oliver and Aaron Goldstone. Shout outs to them. So they'll usually go. Uh, I prefer not to go because with the traffic on I-4, it takes me about an hour to get there. And then it's such a, it's, it's, it's. Uh, it's difficult parking if anyway I'm getting too far into this but basically it's just a pain in the ass to get there is all I'm trying to say Uh, so I like watching from the comfort of my couch but if those guys don't cover the game then yes I will go to the game and and represent OPP so that we continue getting our credentials this is our final question from Clint White what if anything has changed about how you view the Pelicans prospect as a result of the first two games so Ali feel free to conjecture feel free to shoot for the stars Um, feel free to to, to be a little bit more realistic, obviously, the Kings were the second part of our matchup, and we surprised the Houston Rockets on opening night. This all just could be uh, – who, who knows where the Pelicans could stand at this point. Through the first two games, how high do you think the Pelicans can, can realistically go? Back in September, I picked that they would finish fourth in the West, and I thought they were right there in that tier with the Jazz, the Thunder, and the Nuggets. So it was basically four teams, but I felt like they had a better edge on a couple of them Denver and OKC, namely, I thought those were just too, a little too overhyped for me. So I had him pick fourth. And so after these two games, suddenly I feel like what we've seen is an unstoppable force. And I've written this on several occasions, too, to where that's what every GM striving for. You, need to, you want to find something that works more times than not against your opponent. 
I mean, that, that's basically the crystal ball that these G- GMs have on both ends of the floor. And so I feel like the Pelicans had the potential for it, and we all did. We all talked about, hey, Randall, uh, Miritich, and AD, boy, look at their diverse skill sets. Boy, doesn't it seem like they're all going to fit well. But now that we've seen them, and it, it's basically been even better than most of us imagined, I think that they are an unstoppable force. So I think, yes, there's reason to be more hopeful than just a four seed. I think right now, I mean, Golden State's still going to be number one until proven otherwise. But I would, you know, I mean, again, two games, but I don't think Houston's a lock for two. I'll just say it like that. I think that the Pelicans can finish four, three, or God, if everything worked out perfectly and Houston does take a step back or two with the losses they had and adding Carmel Anthony, then yes, maybe the Pelicans could sneak in. So the ceiling could be that two seed. Uh, what do you think, man? Uh, I'm right on board with you. It's two games. It's a small sample size. We, we've seen the Pelicans get off to a rough start the previous couple of years and and bounce back. So obviously it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, but right now, even even should Nikola Meritage start struggling from three-point range, as we saw him do in his first month in New Orleans, there are so many other viable options in this offense, guys who don't need to generate their shot from three-point range to get going, guys who can create off the dribble, guys who move the ball, guys who move off the ball. Uh, Grubb just posted this, this really beautiful play design where Alfred Payton is taking the ball up the court, and then you just see the way the defenders are reacting to both Julius Randle and Nikola Meritich as they split in front of him, dragging his defender along with them, and it just opens the floor for him to get straight to the cup. It's everything is just working right now. These guys are able to get whatever shot that they want. In terms of matching up against them, it's only going to be the top five defensive teams in the league. There are going to be teams that have guys who can match up with somebody like an Anthony Davis, guys who can take advantage of Nikola Meritich. We've seen some of his errors defensively the past two games, but we also saw how well he matches up against a guy like Yusuf Nurkic. Everybody's going to have trouble dealing with the Pelicans this season, but they're going to have off nights uh, just as the Rockets did. The Rockets, I think, shot 38% from the floor. You can't expect that they're going to shoot like that every night of the year. This is one of the best. I think they were the most efficient offensive team last season, and they shot 38% against the Pelicans. So that's not going to be a long-term thing, even with Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza's place and Luke Mute's place. Uh, those guys are going to bounce back uh, realistically. But, yeah, when you look across the association with the way Alfred Payton and Julius Randle are playing, are they better than the Utah Jazz? They could be. Uh, are they better with the Oak? The Oklahoma City Thunder at this point are in a really dangerous position with Westbrook continuing to miss time. Uh, these guys could find themselves on the outside looking in or simply just fighting to get into the playoffs. So the Pelicans are in a great spot. They need to keep healthy. Uh, and with Nico shooting like this, I mean, the sky's the limit right now. I was just thinking with Alfred Payton and Julius Randle, how do the Pelicans match up with the Warriors last season and how fun it would be if in the playoffs this year they get to the Warriors, they've had regular season success uh, against them this season, and then DeMarcus Cousins gets reinserted into the lineup and just how much fun that would be. Uh, but it's past 7-1. I'm sure the game started. I got to wrap up. Ali Cosell, follow him at Ali Cosell. Ali, what have you got going on this week? We don't have a game until Tuesday, so what can our fans look for on thebirdrights.com? I'm going to write a piece about what's been spearheading our excitement, and that's our big three. Uh, Nicole Meritich, Julius Randle, AD, we got to accolade him because, like I said, it's an unstoppable force. So let's start writing about it, too. All right. That's all the time we have for now. Obviously, right after this, I'm going to have Robert Flom of Clips Nation. Uh, for now, you guys, make sure to rate our podcast, subscribe, support us in any way you you can. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've been doing really well the first couple of weeks uh, just in terms of page views. It helps when your team is winning and they're really successful and they have an MVP candidate. So hopefully this uh, continues to roll over. But we just want to say thank you, uh, you guys. And thank you so much for our questions. We were overwhelmed. I think we had 10. If we didn't get to all of them, we apologize. We'll get them on the next podcast for now. Thank you to Ali. Shout out to David Grubb. Shout out to Kevin Barrios. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Let's go, pals. Now we welcome onto the podcast Clip Nation site editor as well as statistical writer to Blazer's Edge, content marketer to Grid Dynamics, and contributor to Redick Upside, Mr. Robert Fom. Did I miss anything? Uh no, that's that's about everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's plenty. Uh, he's vacationing back home in Los Angeles as we speak. You can follow him at Richie Homie Flom. Let's get right into it. The second game of the Pelicans' four-game homestand is the aforementioned Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers, whom lost their 
home opener against the Denver Nuggets after leading by eight within five minutes to play 92-84. They ended up losing 107-98 on the night. Then they took care of business against the Thunder at home, sans Russell Westbrook, 108-92. The leading scorers have been Tobias Harris and the rejuvenated Danilo Gallinari. Hope I said that right. Let's start there. Gallo is healthy, Robert, and he looks dangerous again. What have you seen from him in the first couple of games? He looks good. I mean, I think, you know, he's shot the ball very well, too well. He's 8 of 12 from 3, which is not sustainable, obviously. That's 67% shooting from 3. But I think that's counteracted by him not getting to the free throw line very much. In his prime, he was one of the best in the NBA at getting to the free throw line. He's only gotten five free throw attempts so far. So I think even if his outside shooting cools off a bit, he should up his free throws. But he's just looked healthy, which compared to last year where he was just noticeably slow all year, even in the the 21 games he did play, just seeing him attack the basket and moving freely on offense and defense, it just looks really good. Doc Rivers has called him their best playmaker too. Um, he's been pretty unselfish. If anything, he probably should force the issue a little bit more with how how well he's been shooting. But he's, he's just played really well on both ends of the court. I think overall, he's probably been their best player so far, which is, you know, when healthy, I think that's fair to say. I know the Clippers and, and fans are expecting a lot of things from Tobias Harris this year, but I think a healthy Gallinari in his prime was considered a fringe all-star, and he looks about as good as he has for a couple of years right now. So he's been he's been very good, and he's tough to match up with when he's healthy. Yeah, the Clippers are definitely very dangerous with a couple of veterans that could make a difference in Marcin Gortat, Patrick Beverly, Avery Bradley. We'll get to them in a moment. Let's talk more about that squandered eight-point lead. It ultimately ended on the Nuggets' 23-6 to run to swing the game. What did the Nuggets do to overwhelm the Clips in the final five minutes of opening night? I think their defense really picked up. Uh, a lot of the fault was honestly, anytime there's a collapse that bad, a lot of it is on the team that blows it. The Clippers just did not play well, but I think you do have to give, give credit to the Nuggets. They just really, they they bore down on defense. Paul Millsap was really big and, and switching and help recovering. Uh, but even their guards, I thought Jamal Murray uh, was not very good defensively early in the game. I thought he stepped it up a little bit. Gary Harris is very good. And Jokic actually... Um, played quite well on defense in that game. Um, you know, they tried going at him in the pick and roll, and he he recovered pretty well. So I think they just played good defense. And then once they got out in transition, the Clippers' transition defense was absolutely horrible. The Nuggets were seemingly scoring every time they got out there. So it was just a it was a rough combination. But really, I mean, I think what did the Clippers in is is Doc Rivers made a rotation change, and he went back to his starting backcourt of Bradley and Beverly. And away from the bench rotation of Lou Williams and Shea Gilgis Alexander, which had played very well because he thought they were tired. And Beverly and Bradley just could not get any offense going. And then in their win yesterday, sorry if I'm jumping the gun a little bit, he stuck with those two guys for the entire fourth quarter. And they pulled out a massive win um, coming from well behind to win by 16 points. So, um, you know, there's some rotation stuff, but I think the Nuggets, honestly, considering they didn't shoot the ball well, they looked really good. They they look like they're going to be pretty scary this year. Let's go back to what you were saying. I just want to piggyback off those comments on Pat Beverly and Avery Bradley. Obviously, uh, our listeners are probably pretty well-versed. They've seen their time in Boston as well as Houston, respectively. And we know that Pat's coming off an injury. But when these two guys were healthy and in their prime, they were two of the best backcourt defenders in the NBA. And now, of course, you've got Lou Williams, the sixth man of the year, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I think the 11th overall pick in this year's draft. Mm. Are you saying that these two have already kind of leapfrogged Pat Beverly and Avery Bradley in terms of not only potential, but also production. Right now to start the year, I absolutely think they have. I mean, Lou Williams is definitely the best scorer of the bunch. He's probably also just the best shot creator. Um, well, he not probably, he is. Uh, so Doc Rivers really needs to play him. And unless he's getting targeted badly on defense, um, on the defensive end, he really needs to close out games. He's the Clippers' best scorer. And I think just taking him out in the fourth quarter was a bad move. Beverly and Bradley have been horrific on offense to start the year. You know, neither of them is great offensive players, but they're going to get better. Um, You know, I think Bradley is shooting five of 18 from the field and Beverly's one of 13, which is, I mean, you know, even for bad offensive players or, or not great ones, those are really, really bad numbers. So they'll get better. But I think Shea is, is the wild card here as a rookie Doc Rivers, I think some of his hesitancy to play rookies, which has been kind of a thing for him, is a little overblown. He has played young guys before when they're good. He did so a lot last year. But Shea has already won trust in a massive way. He's played in the 20s both nights over good veteran players. 
and his defense looks very good for a rookie. He's getting to the basket, making passes, making plays. He only scored two points yesterday, 0 of 2 shooting, but he was really good. Um, but I will say that Beverly and Bradley, their defense has has been very good. I think Beverly's a touch slow, you know, as you mentioned, coming off that surgery. But Beverly's defense has been good, and Bradley has been really good. He was really good on the much bigger Paul George yesterday. Excellent. Now, talking about those guys getting a, a heavy workload and not being as offensively uh, productive as Lou Williams or Shea Gildas Alexander, the team as a whole is not shooting particularly well in their first two nights. And you've got another game coming uh, to, tomorrow night, I think, on the 21st. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but in the in the in the win over the Thunder, just 43 percent from the field, 39 percent in the loss. What's happening with these Clippers that's uh, kind of diminishing their shooting prowess in these first two uh, matchups? I think some of it's just cold shooting, you know, and Beverly and Bradley, they're going to hit some of these open threes that they've been missing. Generally, they don't take very contested shots. They're just missing. And, you know, even if they don't shoot the ball, great, you know, neither of them is Steph Curry. Uh, they'll, they'll shoot better. So that will help. But I think to some extent, the Clippers are missing Deandre Jordan, his, his rim running just drew so much attention in the half court and it really freed everybody else up. I think his presence has been missed. And I think, you know, Beverly and Bradley was was hyped up as this defensive combination to start the year, and they are really good defensively, but it's there's kind of a lack of shot creation there, which is why Lou Williams and Shea Gilgis-Alexander have been so good together, because they can both get to the rim with the ball in their hands. They can both, they're both comfortable playing off ball. Shea's still a little hesitant with shooting, but they're, they can both shoot when left open, and obviously Lou can shoot a lot more than that. But I think there needs to be a bit more mixing and matching going on with Doc playing one offense, one defense guy instead of going kind of all offense, off all defense. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the Beverly Bradley duo is taken out a little bit earlier, you know, sooner in the first and third quarters for Lou or Shea just to mix and match a little bit more. But I think on the whole, their offensive struggles, it's it's a lot of just missing open shots, but it is some just lack of offensive shot creation. You know, their best playmaker in the starting unit is probably Danilo Gallinari and you know as good as he is that's not a guy you really want as your top shot creator and playmaker in the first unit now our listeners know what to expect from Marcin Gortat Boban will probably get somewhere around 15 minutes he's been in the double digits in his first two games Luke Mabah Mute probably something similar 10 to 15 minutes and Montrez Harrell as well as Mike Scott who might get five minutes two guys who have not played thus far our first round pick I think 13th overall Jerome Robinson and the guy who was almost a Pelican Ty Mm -hmm. Wallace you're not using him for the love of God can we have him no, uh, <laughs> it's actually Clippers fans have been a bit frustrated. Actually, um, he is a fan favorite. Clippers fans have wanted him to get some minutes, especially because Mike Scott has struggled in his brief appearances on the court. Luke Mbamute had a really rough first game before playing very well yesterday, uh, guarding Paul George down the stretch. So there are, there are opportunities for Ty Wallace, but really the, the rotation is just so stacked. It's tough to get a minutes. I think Doc absolutely has to get a minutes. He's so good at getting to the basket. His defense is quite competent and he just fits very well with the Clippers reserves. He's plays with a ton of energy. Uh, and, you know, when you get him and Shea and Montrez Harrell all, you know, doing their stuff all over the court, getting to the basket, that could be a very dangerous uh, group of players off the bench. So it's been a bit disappointing. He can't get minutes. I know he did have a hip injury in preseason. I don't think it was super serious, but that could be the reason he hasn't seen uh, many minutes so far. But the Clippers, I was as surprised as a lot of people when they matched and then they they kept him through preseason and training camp because he played really, really well in preseason. I would expect at some point, hopefully pretty soon, he does get a shot in the rotation. All right, I've got one more question for you. Since you've probably seen Wes Johnson play a good bit recently, uh, I would expect that you know a pretty good deal about him, and the Pelicans could desperately use some depth at that position. Right now, they're getting minutes from Darius Miller and Solomon Hill, who have been underwhelming. Darius Miller's been a little bit better than Solomon Hill. Uh, After that, they don't have much at the wing position other than Etwan Moore and Nikola Miritich, who promises to play some three. They could use some depth at that position. Once he gets up to speed with the Pelicans' offense and kind of the guys around him in practices, scrimmages and stuff like that do you expect him to contribute to the pelicans this year i do i think clippers fans were very frustrated with west johnson because he was kind of brought in during the latter lob city era and those teams always struggled at small forward and west was just not really the answer to any of their problems he'd had a couple pretty good seasons with the lakers and then just did not match those numbers with the clippers but i think he was a little got a little too much heat um you know in his time with the clippers he's not 
great. I wouldn't even say he's very good, but I think what West brings you is like a base level of competence at the three and the four. If you give him 10 to 12 minutes a night, you're going to get a level of NBA quality play. He can hit open shots. He's, he's kind of streaky, but overall, I think he's a league average or slightly below average outside shooter, which is, you know, not horrible. You know, he'll, he'll punish teams if they leave him open and his help defense is really quite good on ball. He's not as great. His lateral quickness isn't very good, but he's so long and he still has a lot of bounce that as a help defender around the basket, he's very helpful. I think when he gets minutes, he averages about a block a game in 18 to 20 minutes, which for a wing guy is very good. Um, So I think, you know, in the right context, as long as you have offensive creation around him and he doesn't have to do anything offensively outside of hit open threes and run in transition, I think he'll be fine. You know, I don't think he's any kind of savior, but if you're just looking for a bit of depth, you know, 10 to 15 minutes a game, I think he's perfect for that. All right. This is managing editor to Clips Nation, Mr. Robert Flom. You can find him at Richie Homie Flom. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you for having me on. It's always, always a good time. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance.